Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Waiting to be Signed, the show where we reveal the week's events on FX Hash. My name is Will and I'm joined by Trinity. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. We are here to talk about art, not just the aesthetics, but the money surrounding it, as the market is a key part of FX Hash. That said, nothing we say here should be taken as financial advice. It is just for fun and conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at Waiting to Sign to keep up with our thoughts throughout the week, or for those who prefer a visual language, on Instagram at Waiting to Be Signed. And of course, if you are feeling generous, we are always accepting donations, including tokens, at our Tez wallet address, waitingtosign.tez. And we have to amend the opening statement, our ETH wallet address. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we uh, There was some demand this week, I guess, to start an ETH wallet. And so we have waitingtosign.eth and waitingtobesigned.eth. No one was squatting it on the ETH side. So we were able Thank to get Thank you, people, for not squatting. Both. And honestly, quite cheap. I thought they'd be more expensive. And also, of course, the notes. We'll get there. They will be posted. <laughs> well, hopefully by the time this episode airs, the last episode's notes will be posted. And then also, and also this, this episode's, episode's notes will be posted. Will be posted. Yes. yes. Thank you, Trinity. <laughs> it's a busy time for you. You know, even though you, you went on break, you have uh, a baby coming probably next week. So yes, this could actually be your last episode for a minute for two or three be. weeks. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I, I have heard that babies come when they want to come. So maybe it'll still be not here by next friday but we'll see we'll see we'll see it's exciting i'm excited for you i might throw up it's very nerve-wracking it is nerve-wracking but i i mean i think i said this before like once it happens your brain just like rewires itself and you fully surrender to it and uh-huh. you don't even allow it it's like your your body won't even allow yourself to be nervous like you're just going to get into this routine and after a, a week or two which will feel feel like time is in a loop almost mm-hmm. <laughs> uh you'll be like two weeks have gone by it felt like the longest two weeks ever but also it feels like no time has passed at all yeah and then you'll kind of start to break out of it hopefully <laughs> that kind of sounds like normal. the first month or so of covid to be honest a little or, bit yeah what, that's what is great, time yeah just wake up log on to computer log off computer you're in the same place <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sure same thing right Oof. uh we have a big episode this week do you want to just jump into the news? Yeah, we can just jump into the news. It's I've been kind of disconnected this week for the most part, even though I've been off, as you said. Things happened. Things did happen. The biggest one, of course, well, maybe not the biggest one, but to, to us, I think an important one is that Contrapuntos is now available to print on tender.art. Obviously, an important piece on the platform, and the tender printing service is so excellent. It's been a long time coming, and with it, Marcelo put up his own um, website where you can go in, enter the hash for your contrapuntos, and then upres it to a higher resolution and play with also some of the noise functions so you can further customize yours to then get a file that can be printed through Tender. So, mm-hmm. I know that you exciting. have a few contras. Are you planning to get yours printed? I know that actually a piece of news here is that you just put in a really big order yeah well that's the dagger of course Uh, which is that contrapuntos was added the day after i submitted my order (laughs) to tender (laughs) so that order is is off so the contras will have to wait for the next batch which maybe will come in january or something because it would be nice to get them both printed Mm -hmm. what remind me what colors you have i have like the red minimal one Mm -hmm. that has actually like a lot of nice pink and some green in it and then that noisy black one that i traded for a couple weeks ago yeah very opposite end of the spectrum there. You'll have to complete the set and just create a little like quad tick. I don't know. 
Oh, you mean with all the colors, right? Getting a with white. All the colors, a, yeah. yeah. I would love to. Even just like a diptych with two of the same color could be very nice, but you got to get it big. So that's the printing news. I'm super excited to get those prints and share them. Any uh, big prints that you are excited for? I know that you shared a gallery of everything that you were looking to get printed. Yeah, I made a little grail grid. I didn't end up getting all of them printed because when I started putting them all into the cart and pricing it out, it was like very quickly approaching $3,000. <laughs> and, and, and the prints are not even individually that expensive, but it's just like you can't. And then I'm just starting to think about framing costs and all of that too, yeah. right? So. I think I'm personally most excited for the Coronados. Luckily, Akari really liked them as well. And so I was able to negotiate three. Wow. I think we have a spot on the wall that we can put them all next to each other. I'm not 100% confident. But where? Where? Not in the bathroom, right? No, definitely not in the bathroom, in the living room, above the couch, I hope, or kind of behind the couch. Although there's like a really annoying, immovable fire alarm there, like a building-wide wired one that I can't. So th- that that could mess up that plan, but we'll see. I'll save the rest as, as a surprise. I, I'll post them on Twitter and drop them in Discord and stuff, and we can talk about them in a week or two when they arrive. Because I got some interesting prints in there. Yeah, I, I, I remember looking through and I was like, hmm, there's a lot of one particular artist that you very much like. Talking about Flynn's. <laughs> I'm talking about Flynn's. That's a lot of Flynn's. Yeah, we didn't get all of those, but some Flynn's made it in. Yeah. I have a particular plan for that. Okay. Yeah, I need to go back and, you know, that we have a ton of extra wall space that's just waiting to be filled. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's waiting to be filled. That's the next podcast where we just go through and talk about <laughs> all of our empty wall space. Yeah. Yeah, I'm angling towards maybe getting a certain type of Mythic Layton glitch, for example, to maybe get printed. It's already being held by somebody else, obviously, but we'll see. I don't know if I'd get my Contra printed, but if I was able to get a sick, white, chunky one, maybe. With the Contra, I think my wife's not so big on red. Yeah, so the red ones are tough, I think. I think it looks cool, but then you know, having it open on the wall, I don't know. I think the white ones are going to be the best for printing, especially mm-hmm. like I assume that most of the walls in your apartment are white because it's the sixth borough of New York. Everything's just <laughs> yeah, painted white by default. White, yes. yeah. yeah. I think the other thing I might try to get printed is complete my Yasek series. So I have my hollow printed. And then maybe going for the reborn um, mm. and the unbuilt, probably the unbuilt first. So I also see that you have another really big news item. So the same wallet that we talked about a while back that bought that pink Zancan on offer for like 70 something thousand Tez, which was over mm-hmm. 100,000 USD at the time. And then also had bought like a one of one Zancan and a one of one Iskra, bought the first RGB which is token number 23 on the platform. Oh, interesting. Okay. And bought it from Cyphered on offer for 30,410 Tez. I wonder why he sold it. I'm sure it was negotiated. looks like the offer went in and then was pretty much immediately accepted. So I doubt that it was random, but the identity of that collector kind of still remains a mystery, but it was just kind of interesting to see that they're going for like that grail of grail of grail approach still. So really just interesting to see that wallet come back, right? They had that flurry of activity. I don't know. I feel like it was like maybe three months ago. Maybe Tez being super cheap again, got them to come back and go for another piece. So. It sounds like they might have been also at Miami wheeling Probably. and dealing. Yeah. I'm sure that this is not a fully anonymous collector. I'm sure it's a side wallet for somebody that we know. 
I mean, clearly some people know who it is. And mm-hmm. I'm, I think Cyphered, I didn't, I didn't dig this up from the Discord, but I think Cyphered made a note that there'll be more about that sale later on. So perhaps the identity of this collector will be revealed or, or kind of what's going on. Because, you know, when Cyphered sells something like that, it, people notice and it makes sense for him to jump in and kind of be like, don't worry, you know, <laughs> like this is not a being sold under duress or anything. Like, I think it was just this collector really wanted this particular piece and probably the provenance of it, right? Being minted by Cyphered, being such an early piece in the platform. Yeah, for sure. Um, if I were Cyphered, I'd probably want to hold on to that a little bit longer. Who knows? I'm sure it's for a good, it's a mysterious and for a good cause. Mysterious motivations on both sides. Uh, only other piece of news here is that one of our favorites who we haven't had a really chance to talk about in a while because they haven't released anything, but or bit or not has announced that they're going to be releasing an Artblocks curated piece, I think next week, which is really exciting. Yeah. Artblocks is still not working on my browser, which <laughs> is unfortunate, but I, I've seen previews of this piece on Twitter and it's definitely very much in the vein of her FX hash projects, which is more of like that simple line-based sketch-like approach. What was it? The th- uh, three-body problem was the the big drop that really took off, and monopole as well. Orbitan, that's an interesting artist. I feel like people keep going back to her stuff from time to time and like rediscovering it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember if it was three-body or monopole that was like the one that kind of. I think it was monopole. Blew up naturally. Monopole is such a great piece. Like I have number one from that collection, and it's like this really minimal, nice pink one. You might need to lift list that very high. I want to keep it actually. I think I'm going to, I was looking because like, so as a part of this announcement, a bunch of her work has been running on the secondary. I saw that you had two cell. So I had some three body problems that only had two bodies in them. And I had those listed and I'm keeping my three body one, which is a little bit of a rare iteration. I looked at the two monopoles I had and decided I didn't want to list them because I I like them both. Definitely a project I want to get plotted at some point. Just need to find someone who has a plotter. Number one I have, I'll send it over to you, is a really cute minimal piece. Oh, yeah. That is very cute. I could see that just being plotted not even that big and just having it as a cool piece that could sit at the top of the stairs and not in a bathroom. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, what I actually would, would, could be interesting is to get like a really nice grainy texture and then like, print this out on a transparency and you like plot it by hand. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. It is almost minimal enough to do that. with some It's tracing. definitely minimal enough to do that. It's very sick. Yeah. Yeah. I've liked her work since the beginning. I didn't really collect as much. I think I might have a couple of the later pieces like Abstraction, for example. Mm -hmm. NFT economist, Anna, she posted on Twitter like just a nice little representation of like some of the Orbita not work alongside some of like the the plottable Revdan Cat projects. Mm -hmm. And it's just so nice and clean to see them lined up together. You know, it's definitely a minimal style of art that I think has its definite place. It's cool to see them people like coming back around to it and liking it because it is kind of like off trend right now, right? Like it's this type of minimal thing. I think it's not what people are looking for. So it's really cool to see these moving and, and people enjoying them and rediscovering them. Big fans. Future yeah. interview target for sure. Definitely. I mean, honestly... We probably should reach out to people before they do their big art blocks release because um, then we're just getting into the hype train. We're not appreciating the artist, you know, as they are. That's true. That's true. But at least we have a history of talking about them. Yes, this is true. Know. All right. Should we hop on over to donations? Yeah, let's do donations and then get into some of the topics and projects. 
Okay. So OTM gifted us a sunset in South Beach. Tyler Boswell himself donated a pair of stepping stones, which was very much appreciated. Luis Fraguada gave us an edition of their article, 3D Picks, November 2022. Sean Yost came through with a landscape with carbon capture for our ETH wallet, which is super intense. I assume it was a green one. Yes. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Um, and then Death Retina came in with a very generous test donation. So thank you so much, everybody, for donating these things. And you know, I think that's also a natural segue into our next big thing that we're, we've, we're doing, uh, yeah. which is waiting to be listed. Yeah, is that what we can, we can call it that? Um, you know, throughout the entire year, and it's crazy to think that we're coming up on a year, we've received so many tokens from everyone, far more than I think we even could process when we, when we jumped on a call yesterday to start going through. But for many of the pieces, we only received one. You know, some people were kind enough to give us a duo that we could split up easily and just take into our personal wallets and hold. But uh, for the pieces where we only have one, we were like, well, what, what are we going to do with these? They're donated to us. They're meant to support us. So we decided to go through and start listing them. And we've been recording that process. So we got through about what, the first third of the wallet, would you say? Yep. Going from oldest to newest. So we started with uh, Weave was the very first one we listed. And you can go through and, and check out what's for sale on the waiting to be signed wallet. Very few pieces ended up on the floor though. So we're no, not just trying a to few. just floor yeah. these pieces necessarily. We did list our KGM. That spoiler alert. It is not on the floor. <laughs> it's not on the floor. Yeah. But I, I thought it was a really fun exercise to you know kind of do together. And we're largely in alignment, I think, with a lot of the, the prices that we picked yeah, up on. Yeah, for sure. It's not like we have a goal of selling 10,000 Tez worth of projects by the end of the year or anything like that right it's like you know we always do say on the show let be listed so we listed projects just for the sake of having them listed and potentially catching a run and hopefully if anyone checks out those episodes like we're going to publish it or it has been published probably by the time this is out on spotify as a video podcast and we'll try to get it on youtube too but the video is very long and youtube is currently not letting us post it so trinity's going to figure that out though <laughs> yeah we need to figure out how to get verified or maybe we can split the video into a couple of parts, which could be fine. But, you know, it's also us, unedited, raw. It is unedited, yeah. <laughs> it but doesn't it's sound fine. that bad. Yeah. No, no, I think it's going to be good because it's, you know, people want the, that visual format, I think, to look at stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of tab switching and a lot of scrolling for which, you know, apologies. But Hey, but at least we're talking over it. Yeah, and we're talking about the art and we're talking and it's about fun. philosophy. It is fun. It was fun to go back and revisit projects that, people have given us, I mean, old stuff like the weave and like talking about like remembering back to early episodes and, and when these projects came out and, Oh yeah. What happened to that artist? And then like going through and be like, yeah, they haven't released anything in like since May. And you know, just, it's kind of like a bit of a time capsule, I guess, in a way too, the way we're doing it. So. Yeah. We still have two thirds of the wallet to go through. Very exciting. So other big topic this week, very top of mind across many discords Tyvek mania. Who is Tyvek? What is Tyvek? He was a Tyvek. Well, that's the question. And it's it's spawning some copy pasta in Discord. Everyone's coming up with their own funny takes on it. The floors on these projects have been pumping like crazy. I mean, they were already pretty respectable for a new artist on the platform, but Verdant Brute is up to 380. Kami is up to 600. We've seen some big names come in, like Marcelo buying some yesterday, Lamond. 
And I guess the big debate is how much of this is being fueled by the art itself and how much of it is being fueled by the speculation on identity of the person or persons, I guess, (laughs) behind the project. And that's been a large part of some of the discourse that I've seen, which is if they're being secretive or if they are somebody else, like, A, why do we care? Why are they releasing under an anonymous wallet? And are they even anybody? Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if like it's worth it to theorize over who somebody might be like. Well, we can certainly cover the theories. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but before we do, I mean, I'm, so have you read their articles? No, oh. I have not. They're really interesting, actually. I, I thought that they were pretty cute. And, you know, when I was reading them, I didn't really think that there was any kind of game going on here necessarily. It was just kind of like an interesting story and just very matter-of-factly being like, yeah, for now I'm going to be anonymous. And I was trying not to read too much into that. But I guess yeah. this um, this game in particular at Miami with uh, the little cards hidden and people were finding them and codes. I don't know if anyone's cracked the code or if they have, it hasn't been made public. But that seems to be the thing, I guess, because there were so many famous artists at Miami rolling around that people are trying to connect it to maybe someone who's big on ETH. Well, we know just from the first article, because I just went through and clicked in and skimmed it, it's not anybody named Tyler. That's like literally how the article opens, right? Well, despite that, people still, some people are, are convinced it's Tyler Boswell, <laughs> despite that. So, yeah, I, if you're Tyler Boswell, why would you start releasing art anonymously when you already, like, your name is starting to command more and more, if not respect? Like, oh, yes, it is commanding more respect, but also higher prices. Why would yeah. you dilute yourself and prevent yourself from achieving these higher prices? Unless you're trying to kind of create multiple personalities and not dilute your own personal body of work, right? Well, you know, it really reminds me of this project from June called Typing that was released by an unnamed wallet. It was just a Tez address. And it's like an animated piece. Mm-hmm. It's like flat color with all this type running back and forth across it. That was a pretty small Dutch auction at the time. Like, I'm not even sure if it sold out like above the two Tez range, but very quickly after it sold, there was a a lot of speculation in price discussion about who this was. And I think the consensus was that, though not ever confirmed, was that this was Abosh, I guess, for their history doing stuff with type, moving type. I don't know. So I guess if you're a famous artist, the motivation is to release something and see if people actually like it for the art. Yeah. I mean, that's actually what they stated here. The project was intentionally released anonymous to emphasize the art rather than the artist. Which is like, Reverse psychology, man. Yes. Come <laughs> well, on. it undercuts like, the anonymity by saying that. And now looking at that piece, you know, the f- highest secondary sale of that piece was 234 Tez. The floor is now 25. Yeah. And when this piece released, the floor was around 50 for a long yeah. time. And so it's half prior floor in Tez terms and probably a quarter, in if not less, terms. in dollar terms. So. so it just kind of shows that like the fervor around identity can die or be lost very quickly the space moves fast yeah well also like this wallet that did typing only released typing whereas we're about to get our third tyvek project released very soon in the next four hours and 16 minutes as of the time of recording i like that piece a lot i've seen mixed reviews of it in discord but it's also hard to know how much of people's public commentary on it has to do with maybe their dislike for the mania versus their actual appreciation of the art so i think it's a really cool piece the one that's coming up 
Now I'll probably try to mint one unless it goes out at the top tier, which it, I guess it could. It could. I mean, there's been so much fervor. It would make sense. And I think that this is their most ambitious piece so far out of everything else that they've done. I'm just wondering if they didn't have the anonymity around, would people be minting out Commune or Verdant Brute? We see a ton of projects that go unminted. We do. I personally think the art on all three of these is like certainly well above average for FX hash. I think they would have minted out. Yeah. I mean, we talked about the Verdant Brute a little bit as a shout out, I think several weeks ago. It made our radar well before a lot of the speculation around the names was like a story. Yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens after Artifice drops and if there's a big reveal or if and how crazy the floors go, how the Dutch auction goes. But I guess to wrap the segment up, for the sake of journalism, some of the names that people are throwing out there on the ETH side have been Tyler Hobbs, Matt Delorier, Abosh. On the Tez side, Iskra, Marcelo, or both of them, maybe in collaboration. Tyler Boswell, as we mentioned, just all over the place. I think if I had to make an uneducated guess, and I don't think it's correct, but just because of who was at Miami, Mm -hmm. compositionally speaking, I think some of these remind me of like Yazid. Mm. I don't think it's correct. I'm just saying that like that might be a a, a place to go. Especially the first one, right? Yeah, it really reminds me of the the latest Yazid project. So, Mm -hmm. but obviously, maybe you know he wouldn't go back and do that again. So the thing to me that makes me think it's not someone famous, at least not someone famous on the ETH side, is that we received a donation of Burden Brute. But maybe so we would talk about it. Right, right. But still, like, do we really think that Tyler Hobbs or Matt Delorier knows about us? Know about this podcast? So my intuition is that it's someone who's at least been in the Discord, been following the space, is aware of us. And that's an even smaller subset, <laughs> you know, yeah. as we as we know. So the other thing is that in one of the articles they used, or the most recent one, they used some British language. British people don't use art blocks? No, no. I'm just thinking about geography. And that, that's not a, okay. that's just a, that's just another piece of data. It's like they use the term rubbish in the bin. And I was like, oh, that's like a very particular lingo. So does that point us to not American? I, I don't know. I mean, some people think that's a red herring. I don't know. So. Oh, I did have a guest earlier, which I think is definitely wrong as well, which is that it was abstract mint. Oh, yeah, right. I think the thing that, you know, I just, you know, I'm bursting to say is that like from a texture and composition point of view, there's a definite overlap between the Tyvek work and the Kunio Okuizumi projects. Oh, yeah. Like, not sure. that I'm thinking that that's who that is. I think, you know, it's a measure of respect, I think on this primary and the secondary. I think the quality of the work is like very similar in many mm-hmm. respects. And it's like mostly anonymous people that we don't know and don't have a huge presence. But the Tyvek, the hype, the hype is real. And that, that kind of pisses me off. The hype is annoying, but you can't control people. So the other guests I've seen based on color are landlines or jarrahs mm-hmm. by color alone. If it's landlines, it's very different from the other landlines work. I would say the first two are artifice. When I flipped through it, I could see in some of the colors and some of the compositions, mm-hmm. there's a definite like landlines feel here. And people have also pointed out that a lot of the, the color palettes overlap with some of the Jarrah's work too. Yeah. It's a wide spectrum of guesses there. <laughs> yeah. I would say I, I would see Jarrah's more than landlines, 
But that's just because I know that a lot of the landlines pieces that have been released recently are very organized and structured, even if they're mm-hmm. broken apart and shifted. It's still like in a very like understandable way if you're thinking about it from a code based perspective. But, you know, that could also be a reason why they would release work under like another pseudonym outside of even extracurricular activities because it represents something that's so different from their typical style. Yeah. And so it's an opportunity to kind of create this other secret identity. At this point, we're just wildly speculating, but it is kind of fun to talk about. And it is the thing that people are talking about this week. So I'd rather be speculating on names and identity than on uh, Tezos prices, I guess. But we'll do that as well <laughs> in the next section if you, you want to move on to the drops. Yeah, we definitely should move on to the drops. I see that you have a favorite. I'll do a favorite here, which is A Lullaby for Euclid by Sarah Ridgely. I was really kicking myself because I even I set a timer to try to mint this one. So it was released, I think it was released as part of the FemGen series or event that was taking place in Miami. Mm-hmm. Both Sarah and Alexandra released projects that were really small. Lullaby for Euclid was only 30 editions. I think the Alexandra one was only 60 or 70. I liked them both, but the one that I really, really liked and was hoping to mint was this one from Sarah. It's like... I guess I would uh, I would liken it most to um, ineffable memento in kind of the structure of the shapes and the movement and the animation, but you know when you look at Sarah's other work, I mean it's so distinctly like in her lane. So it's kind of a an awkward comparison to make. I don't know that it just when I saw this in the queue, I just thought this was really fantastic, and I missed my alarm, and it went really really fast because I think even like ten of them were reserved. So there was only about 20 available to mint. It was pretty gassy as well. The minimum gas for a successful mint without a reserve was 35 Tez. Oof, okay. And somebody missed gassing 160 Tez. I don't know. This piece I really love. I think it's one that I'm not going to be able to get at this point. The floor is at 420. It's only 420. Yeah. You can theoretically get it if we sell a KGM. That's true, actually. So <laughs> I would love to own one. I've just become an increasing fan of, of Sarah's work. And uh, I just wanted to shout this one out as one of my favorites. And I wish it had been maybe 100 editions or something so that there could have been some more opportunity to mint. Nice. Also, apologies. I don't know if you can hear. There's a wood chipper. Oh, is that what that is? There's a wood chipper outside of my window because that's what we do in Brooklyn. We chip wood, apparently. <laughs> in the winter. So that- I'll try to be on mute. Okay. Yeah, that's but- okay. You're getting the sounds of the city. Right. The dump trucks, the jackhammers, the wood chippers, classic. I really didn't go with any favorites this week. It's just been a busy week. I think my favorite, I'll shamefully put it out there, my favorite this week is the TV show Warrior Nun. Go watch it. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Do you want to give us a very brief summary of it? A dead quadriplegic gets reanimated by a divine object being put into her corpse. And then it turns into Buffy the Vampire Slayer with nuns and really good combat scenes and cinematography. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have some time alone next week, so maybe I'll watch that. Give it a shot. Perfect. And that's it. And moving on to our And that's the episode. All right. That's the episode. Bye, guys. (laughs) All right. Um, All right. Top five. We have a big top five. And we had like a very clear top five. Like, I think... Over the last couple of weeks, and I think it's been more the sign of us being in like that bull market, mm-hmm. is the top 15 projects on FX Hash being like fully dominated by some of the classics. So Garden Monoliths, Dragons, Contras, whatever. 
RGBs. Now, of course, those projects are almost always in the top when they see a sale or two. You know, we've recently been seeing only like three new projects in the top 15. And yep. so the fact that there are at least five, I think that's a sign of market shifting as people are shying away from their Grail purchases and yeah. we're getting more into like these speculation runs um, of Mint and Flip. And the first project here definitely was a heavily speculated project. So this is Tangentum by Collapser Beauty. This was 256 editions with a very narrow Dutch auction starting at 20, going to 10. But this one went out at 20 with some gas, not as not as much as I think I expected. It was pretty gassy. I heard some people said they minted it without gas, but I know you know, you know how to look at that stuff. It wasn't as gassy as some projects later on that we'll talk about. I personally minted to 10 gas and 8 gas, which is a lot for me, but I That's above the mean, actually. Yeah, someone said they got it with like one or two. Yeah, some people got it without any. Which is surprising because I thought for sure this project would blow up, which it did. But I it guess did. people didn't identify that as much um, and, and give you know put the gas in. So Collapser Beauty, I'm not sure we've really talked about them before. Some of their no. older works actually have really high floors, like Collapsing System. I remember, I think, talking about Collapsing System maybe way back when it came out. Well, actually, it only came out a month ago, so maybe we didn't. Yeah, I don't remember talking about it on the show. But it had a floor up around 100 even before this project came out. Some more of them have sold. So this is an interesting kind of newer artist just on the platform. But this piece, Tangentum, is very different from the work they put out previously. It's hugely different. Yeah. And I just, we can't really like dance around it. Like it's a little bit controversial, I would say. Yeah. In its similarity in kind of colors and style to the QBB work that hasn't been on FX hash is on yeah. object. I think for a lot of folks looking at this, it's like, oh, I can finally get like a one of one QBB-ish piece here. I've seen some debate on how similar it is or isn't. What, what do you think about it? I think that it's both similar and dissimilar. Like you can't deny that the shapes, the colors, the bleeding of how things kind of work together in like a very like kind of cellular way. That is QBB's style. Like 100%, you can't escape that at all. We can put some side-by-sides in the article, which will definitely be coming out before this podcast releases, um, just to kind of walk through it. But, you know, at the same token, an artist can't own a particular style or look and feel, you know, or right. else we would be all over Rexan's ass for, you know, whatever the project that looks like in complete control. Disrupt? Disrupt, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I agree that it's very... It's like Quibibi Light. I think this algorithm is a lot tighter than what Quibibi uses for their work. Yeah, 100%. This is very much like locked into a rectangle or oval, and then it's being cut up, you know, bisected, dissected, and mixed up. So you get a very consistent shape, whereas like I think the Quibibi stuff can be a lot wilder. Their algorithm is like much more diverse and they just curate out their outputs, right? So Yeah. I mean, I think there are some that kind of break away from that a little bit more. Um, I'm looking at number 62, which isn't really that circular pattern. It's not like the rectangular pattern. It's a couple of different odd shapes that coexist on a canvas. And so this doesn't feel part of like that same algorithm, so to speak. I also could read this as being like a big oval that then has had some stuff subtracted from it. Of course, but... 
you know, it is a slightly different representation of everything else. Or like number seven, it is kind of rectangular-ish, but it goes into more fun shapes. We see like those subtractions elsewhere, like in the body of like the color block itself. Whereas here when it's expressed on like the perimeter, it feels much more natural. I'll also add, I mean, I don't think, despite maybe some of the similarities, I don't think this is a copyment in any way. No. Inspired by. Inspired by, yeah. Like QBaby's code is, as far as we know, never been shared publicly. And talking to some other people who code, it's like, yeah, a lot of these shapes, a lot of these forms are not that hard to come up with, with some basic like sine, cosine, algebra stuff. So getting these shapes is not something that only QBaby knows how to do. It might be a little unfortunate the, the closeness in color palettes <laughs> because that's to me what mm-hmm. really even more than the forms is like oh these feel very and like on the black there. background too and on the black background yeah so what did you do with um the ones that you minted i ended up flipping them you know okay I, very shamelessly congrats like my feeling on this piece was that i thought it was going to take off that's why i was willing to gas it and that i thought maybe the market would not sustain because ultimately i think there'll be some disenchantment with it not being QBB. And like, I wasn't really confident how well the Republic might reconcile like the similarities in the long run. Mm-hmm. And especially if like, imagine if QBB ever actually does release an FX hash, right? It's going to be like, huge. So what did you exit at? I basically like minted these and then left for the day. So I posted one, the one I of the two that I liked least at a hundred when they were trading around 30, 40. Mm-hmm. And then saw as I was heading into the city that it sold. And then came back in the evening and they were still kind of moving. And uh, I posted my second one around 200 or something. Because at that point, the floors had come back down. And then someone made an offer to me for 150 and I just took it. It's pretty good. I exited with like 200, a little under 200. I mean, probably more like 150 after royalties in profit, I guess, from those those day one flips. <laughs> and then bought a Coronado. <laughs> <laughs> So that that's what I decided to do. Coronado is definitely a project I'm targeting more right now to acquire. So I think I'm going to try to get at least one more of them. I mean, congratulations. That's that's awesome. And, you know, I think also this project is almost 100% flipped. It's had 154 sales with 86 for sale. So not quite at the full mark, but getting there. It's kind of moved past that where it at least has less for sale than have been sold, which is a good place to be in. I mean, I could honestly see this dipping a little bit more and then rebounding. Like, mm-hmm. you know, absent QBB, like I think these are really cool yeah. pieces for sure. Like I, I understand why people like them and would want to collect them. It's more just like my personal uncertainty. I would rather lock in the, the profit and be good with it and then see what happens in the long run. If anything, this also reminds me a little bit of the project from October or early November by Hieroglyphica. It was absorbed. And that was like the pseudo collaboration with that audio company. And I think we made the same Quibibi like references as well, like just in terms of use of color and some of the shapes and lines that are created. Yeah. I'd say that absorbed is less Quibibi than tangentum. Right. But, you know, I think that it's still like people are starting to lean more into the style as they, as Kobe becomes like more popular and more to the surface. 
I think with that one, it speaks to, again, like that the geometry of it is not necessarily like a, a unique thing to derive. Yeah. For sure. The color palettes here are different. And obviously this also, I mean, this one actually, I don't know. I haven't tried using it at the time. It didn't work for me, but I think it had like some animated quality to it, right? Yeah. It's how it renders. Honestly, it renders very beautifully. Definitely a weird first one to talk about just given the discussion surrounding it. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think I feel personally like angry about the project. No, definitely not. I think the artist also has been surprised by the success and, and um, spoken at least obliquely about the influence to it. So maybe this is just kind of a lesson of, of owning your influences a little more upfront and like making acknowledgements into the project description and stuff. <laughs> So that way people don't have to speculate so much. Agreed. Well, we'll see what else they start to put out and just kind of, I guess, track the release trajectory. And obviously they've, they're a talented coder and also their aesthetics have been generally pretty good across their run. So we'll, we'll have to see. So that was a uh, tangentum by Collapser Beauty. Should we move on to number two here? Yes, we should. All right. This is an exciting one. We have Nano Panorama from friend of the show, Peter Pasma, 200 editions, 150 Tez. I think you even said when we were discussing the um, industrial piece from, what was it, like six weeks ago, mm-hmm. that you were like, if he did this 2D, <laughs> didn't, you, didn't you say something like that at the time? Like, I feel like there was something that you said in that episode that kind of like foretold this piece coming. Possibly. Um, but, you know, Industrial Devolution was on FX Hash. But this is an open mint kind of take on the ray hatching plottable work that peter's really well known for but compressed into a 2d space even if it's using the same overall technology seeing it not like with that explicit light source and shadow it creates a completely different effect and it's pretty radical and wild i think as you go through and look at some of the individual outputs you get to see some things emerge over time like you like there's a cross in the middle of some of them. Some of them are broken up by squares or by circles. And so you kind of see these elements being reused, but they're also just individually. I don't know how much to say about it other than it's also very cool that this is 4,671 characters right. of code. So like this is basically written in like a, t- a tweet thread or Twitter thread. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like Peter and his ability to optimize code and do this stuff he does in characters where other people need lines to accomplish. And yeah, like you were saying, like it's just amazing the the depth and character that is achieved here through this algorithm. Some of them feel really inky. Some of them feel really topographical. Some of them just feel dark and alien. And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see such an abstract take on a plottable piece like this. Like I feel like often plottable work is not necessarily so abstract. I think that some of this could be when you said like the inkiness and like the darkness, it kind of is like if industrial devolution and angry noise had a a small baby together. Yeah, definitely the shapes kind of breaking into the pieces feel very angry noise, right? And how like that's kind of the the connecting piece between like a lot of additions in that that project. Mm -hmm. I think it's super cool, but I think from a market perspective... Well, gosh darn it, Will. It's back down to mint. <laughs> yeah. And and that's it's crazy because there were some big sweeps on this project already. 
70 have sold of the 200. There's 65 listed. And we saw, I'm, I can't remember the name of every collector, but I feel like we saw some big collectors come in and, and grab multiples. Like definitely Funny Guys was grabbing them. Von Mies went through and has at least 10 of them, I would say. Yeah, I think Sean Yost grabbed a couple. So it is strange that Peter just keeps releasing like awesome work and just <laughs> it just feels <laughs> like this guy can't get like, I mean, it's obviously a win, right? It minted out. Oh, hell like, yeah. It's the second highest performing piece of the week. But it just kind of feels like for whatever reason, Peter just doesn't get the respect that he probably deserves on this platform. Mm-hmm. Um, although Industrial Devolution has a pretty high floor, I think. Yeah, but that was just like 60 edition, like non-open yeah. mint. It was like very much relegated to the people who are there in person. Oh, it's 100 editions, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that looking at this, part of the reason that you know people might not be like, generating as much momentum for it is mm-hmm. the fact that there aren't specific traits that people want to reach for. Like there isn't really the idea of like creating a really cool diptych with them as much. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there there are. I guess maybe the biggest trait is like the ink style, but I actually didn't even sort them to see. Or like maybe the shapes, but you know. It's kind of hard even when you look at some of the variations side by side with the most common ones. It's very hard to pick them out visually, um, yeah. which which are rare and which are not, which I think is okay. <laughs> like long term, I think it's okay for the project. But yeah, I think, yeah, in, in the short term, it actually reminds me of like collecting Fargile by Flynn's. Mm-hmm. The one that's like the black and white, very horizontal piece. Like when you start sorting those by all the different variations, it's like, oh, that is like, oh, it's technically a slightly different color of line <laughs> yeah. that's used here. Or like, oh, yeah, it is a little sparser in it's one like section. such minutia that you really, right. you need to spend time with it to really understand and value some of the the nuances. Usually pieces or works that release with black and white also have colorful variants and that helps you like it helps a collector go like, oh, the color is more rare equals more value, right? Yeah. So this collection's lacking that. But I don't know. I like it a lot. I actually minted one. Oh, nice. I assume that you're holding. Yeah, yeah. Maybe someday Peter will offer plots of these and it would be cool to be able to get one from him. You know, he has instructions on how to plot it yourself, but <laughs> I would love to get one like signed, you know, by the man himself. I think this would be very cool being on a wall. The one that I'm looking at right now, it kind of, it makes me think that it would go very well with like, you have that one poster of like, what, the bear fighting the chicken, something like that? Yeah, yeah. The, it's a it's a bear fighting a bowl that we okay. got. It was like a print that we, we it got. It was like in Williamsburg at like the at Christmas market. market. Or something. Yeah. yeah. And we've had that for 10 years now. It's actually not up on the wall. It's still sitting in the box. Really? We, we haven't put up any of the old art we had in our hmm. previous apartment yet. Okay. Because it's buried in a closet, we keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is your reminder. Yes. Thank you. That was Nano Panorama, which also really fun name to say. Nano Panorama. Yes. I Very like cool. it. I like it a lot. Great drop from Peter there. What's the next one, Trinity? Next up is uh, Ichigo by Studio Yorktown. So it's a big follow up from a couple of the projects that they've had. I actually forgot about Crosswalk Monsoon. Somehow that just missed my radar. Yeah, that was an anniversary drop. I think it released like after we. It was recorded. also nineteen yeah. nineteen tests rather than one test. So. Oh yeah! Wow, it was. Yeah, I think that's why we we missed it. We we're probably filtering for things that were one test, but hmm. you know, when we were talking to 
Chris McCauley, you know, I think that Chris and Bruce are very much in sync with some of like their backgrounds, like not their specific backgrounds of where they come from, but they are designers first, you know, and very much based in the use of light, the use of color, the use of structure and presentation, Mm -hmm. and then are learning how to use code to put their vision, their artistic vision onto the world. I think we learned through the conversation that Bruce had with Ken Consumer like way, way, way back ago that Studio Yorktown's background is in design and architecture. Yeah. They've done such a great job at producing quality art that people seem to love. Totally. And do you love this one? Yeah, I like this one quite a bit. It reminds me a little bit of uh, Art Plus Brad's work. Oh, okay. In some respects, like the over the air, there's like a loose grid that's being followed with really fun and vibrant colors. The connection I was going to make was Contra in the way that this Ah. project seems to play on the rhythm of the blocks and the color. Like, I don't think that this is a musically influenced project as like Contra might have been, but it does feel like in that same lane to me because I'm getting some of the same forms, especially as some of the similarly colored blocks like overlap and stuff like, but in a very different way, right? Like this is like Bruce's way of doing it. It doesn't have that, um, you know, Contra has like a ton of interference on top of it and like a lot of mm-hmm. other stuff going on with the colors. And this is a lot cleaner. And I think like the, the palettes are much more tightly defined on this yeah. project as well. And these are very similar to the palettes that were um, used in Tesseract, which was, I think the really big, breakout piece that kind Mm -hmm. of caused that whole wrong on Sabler and everything else. This one also features tiny ones. (laughs) So you can get yourself a tiny little piece. I know some of them are very inset while some of them are bigger and take up more of the frame. Yeah. I actually tend to like the ones that take up the full frame. I'm not a huge fan of borders on things that I would get printed because we have mats already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of these, I would say in particular, I love the Dassault palette. We actually went to like the museum yesterday And Akari was pointing out to me, she's like, you really love the contrast between like red and blue. Like every piece that I was liking had just like red and blue, like juxtaposed to it. That's the KGM that you like too. Yeah. So, and also in the works that I kept pointing out to her that I wanted to get printed and she's just like, no, no more red. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like it was interesting. Like, I'm not really sure why I have this attraction to like those particular compositions, but. I'm sure it says something about your psychology. We can do yeah. some research or a psychologist who's listening can... Tell me, is it is it a masculine trait? Because I am quite alpha. Yes, you are. <laughs> You're the most uh, I, alpha male I've I've met. I also like the Maguro um, palette a lot because I like those little hits of pink in there. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really cool piece. I've been watching it. Like I, I miss the mint and I've been watching it for opportunities. The floor has been coming down a bit. And every now and then uh, someone plucks up one of the more colorful palettes that gets a little too low. And then I'm like, oh, shucks, I just missed it. Some of the more like monocolored ones tend to be dragging closer to the floor. I think some of them that are more mono are nice. Like I like the Tokyo palette, actually. You know, it's very simplistic. It's just um, the cream, the red, and like a very pale pink. But I think it's it's very nice. And, you know, it's it's red. Hey, we love red. I think it works as like one of the more sparse palettes and less colorful ones. And I think the one that we see most often near the bottom, the sand color and the white, which is the Shimo Kitazawa palette. But I think Bruce posted that that was his favorite <laughs> of them. So there's something that he likes about that minimalist like take in that color in particular. Yeah. I think it's just very um, interesting to say the least about like 
how artists and markets react to different things. I know that this was like a conversation that um, I've had with AJ Bernie about like Speed of Dark, for example, and then I think also Love, where there is one color palette that he really likes. Like with Love, it's like the darker background and with Speed of Dark, I think it was the um, like the black and white, you know, but when it's the something that's a little bit more stark and it's like the most common thing, it it starts, I think that drags the floor down a little bit where if it's like the very sparse thing, like the black and white, but that's actually the rarest thing, then it's the thing that people will also kind of desire. You know, does that make sense what I'm saying? I wish we'd explored that a little bit more actually in some of the interviews we had recently, like with landlines mm-hmm. in particular at one point in one of his answers, I think it was like late in the episode and we were getting late on time. Yeah. And he was saying like, how do you understand rarity and like, how do you create rarity and how do you do features and all that? And I, I could tell that sometimes it, through the way he was going in that conversation, he was just kind of like trying to reconcile like what he wanted as an artist maybe mm-hmm. versus what consumer expectation is. Yeah. Because like from my point of view, if you're an artist, like the thing you like best should be the most common, right? Because you think it's the most representative of the work. Yeah. And then there might be little things you like about the rare variations that you put in there. But I think we see uh, sometimes drops that are designed. To make the best thing rare. Yeah. To make the best thing rare and, and make people want to mint towards them. To get lucky, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily intentional, but like I think we got a little bit of that effect with like the Zancan Open Edition, right? Yeah. Like, the public decided that the pinks and the blacks were desirable and they were rare, and there were people who were willing to put in a hundred dollars at a time to try to get them. Slot machine, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that it's a great mechanism to lean into when you know you're looking to get that strong primary. But I do think that it hurts the project on the secondary if that's something that is important to you from a momentum perspective. If this were like the trad art world that just happened to have this kind of gachi mechanic, then it wouldn't matter mm-hmm. as much because there's much more friction in buying and selling. You know, just because we have such a quick marketplace here, I do think that unfortunately the secondary is a little critical just to kind of keep things going. When we would make our drops, I would always just make the pallets equally distributed. (laughs) I was just like, okay, cool. I actually found 10 pallets, but I didn't decide to make any of them more rare. Also, because it was like a lot simpler with the math (laughs) Yeah. to not have to weight it and just be like, okay, one eighth this, one eighth that. That's where you put the rarity and some other like traits. For example, does this blink or not? Or like, you know, does this have a celestial object where like it doesn't hurt the project? Well, if it doesn't have a celestial object, just for example, but it could be something that somebody really wants. It doesn't impact the aesthetics. It just impacts the rarity. That's kind of what happens with um, Yazid's uh, cities piece, right? Because they all do have the ability to have the moon or the sun in them, but only some of them have that in the thumbnail because of the time that they were minted. Yeah. And it's like a time sensitive thing because that piece changes every day. So that's kind of like a weird example of like artificial rarity, essentially. Like you're always going to have a moon in your piece, just not always going to be there. And even if it has a moon in the thumbnail, it doesn't mean it's going to be there when you render it in that moment. Exactly. But, you know, that's all to say that Ichigo is delightful. I know that the dog, Ichi is not short for Ichigo, but he is a little strawberry. He is a little strawberry. He's a grumpy strawberry. Every single time that you look at this piece, do you think about a small grumpy dog? I am now. I mean, certainly the similarity in the name, you know, Ichi being our dog. And the uh, Shimbashi palette also is very Ichi colored. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is him, all right. Maybe one of these will come down to floor. I, I'd definitely be interested in collecting a couple of these, but we got to get some waiting to be signed while it sales, I guess. So far, none. I, I, I've been 
monitoring closely-ish. The other thing to note before we move on is that this drop came out the same day as I think two other like very similar-ish colorful boxes mm-hmm. <laughs> drops, like uh, Dem Boss Invaders from Diego Pintos. And I think there was even one other. So shout out to everyone else who, who dropped cool, colorful boxy projects that day. I liked the Diego one, but I don't know if we're going to get to it, but just wanted to mention that real quick. Also, sorry, just another side note. The Ivona Tal piece has unlocked. Oh, opened up? Yep. Okay. It's just over half minted. Mighty Tez. We'll see. All right. Well, we'll watch that. Yep. Well, we, well, we got to keep going. Let's keep going. All right. So next drop. Right. What's the next one? Yeah. Next drop is uh, Stargazer by Exotics, a 100 edition Dutch auction that minted out at the top tier of 128 Tez with a lot of gas used. 5,278 Tez were spent in gas on the overall project, which is an average of 52 per per piece. And 1,200 of that gas failed in minting, which is pretty brutal. It's very similar, I think, maybe to that Sarah Ridgely piece that we talked about earlier. I mean, Exotics just keeps on amping up their game. Yeah, that gas, I think, speaks to how heavily targeted this one was by flippers. And if you look at the floor right now, it's 100. Um, one, two, three, four in a row listed by fencers. <laughs> they must have used like a scripted wallet because they have number 45, 46, and 47 together listed at 110 Tez. So fencers taking another big loss here. <laughs> uh, kind of like wild to see. But yeah, to speak on the piece, it's like Exotics has really, I think, found their lane and decided to own these like hyper real, heavily composed. Mm-hmm. gen art pieces right could almost be confused for image comp but they're fully code which is i think also why they have they tend to keep their edition counts down yes right because everything is so tightly created here that if they went much lo- i mean you already see like just scrolling through like a lot of similarity like the, the placement of the sun the comment is pretty much the same the angle is a little bit different they right. make up the sky like I, I'm sorry, but I also just really don't like this little person standing. I think I think the person is important say, because I think the person kind of creates the sense of structure and composition. It's like something that like we're anchored on, but I also don't like the person. I think the person should have been omitted. Or rare feature. The person is a rare feature. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's corny and I think it makes it feel less interesting to me. That being said, like the texture, the color, like how much detail there is in the sky. Like, yeah. I think we've been saying this about exotics since the very beginning. Like their coding talent is unreal. Yeah. Like their ability to do this. And and this lane works for them, like at least on the primary. This went out at 128 plus gas. A lot of gas. They made like 12,000, close to 13,000 Tez on this. But the question though is the sustainability, right? I mean, I don't know. If the flippers keep targeting it, then well it's not the flippers targeting it it's about at some point flippers stop targeting once they can't recoup their costs granted you know exotics last beast flower arrangement was hugely successful on the secondary as well right and also very heavily targeted yeah if we look at that one no actually not not as heavily targeted as this that one still has not been 100% flipped and it's also seen its floors like diminish a lot but it minted out I look at this and I think that the libraries, if any, and like the functions that were created to make the sky 
like blend the colors, like put in like the pinpricks of stars and even like to have some of that reflection in the water below. I think that in and of itself is completely beautiful in some ways, similar to, you know, something that was by Melissa Wiederecht, right? Mm. Or I was going to say similar to like almost like a September, like a blended watercolor. Yeah, I was going to say it's like kind of like a spaghetti type of Mm. thing. This one in particular, because it has that like horizon streak in the middle. Yeah. It is so beautiful. I don't know. I just like look at this and then we've seen projects like this before. Like the one that comes to mind is Skyscapes by Amy Goodchild, Mm -hmm. which actually got burned terribly enough at a much lower price point. Right, right. But it's kind of hitting the same evocative measures. Maybe Stargazers is a little bit more intense. I mean, Amy also like put a lot of effort into like getting those like cloud patterns down. And Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like that piece is a lot more diverse. Yeah. If you just look at the first three, like number one and number three, it's almost like you have to play spot the difference on Stargazers to like figure out like oh, there's like a subtle difference in the hue of the sky here. Yeah. But like the the angling of the comet, the position of the sun, the position of the guy. Yeah. It's clear like Exotics is like so good at coding. Like, And they've taken some cracks at more generative-ish stuff, I would say, right? Like, You know, I think that like Dots and Abstract City were quite generative actually because they're based off of the grid. But like they're more realistic stuff. It is much more compositional. I mean, even recently yeah. in July, they had that drop Mugen. I mean, if you look at this now, actually, like it's like it looks really good, <laughs> and it didn't mint out, and it was only eight tes. Yeah, and the Dutch auction burned. So I guess you can kind of see why maybe they they're like, okay, well, I put a lot of effort into making a really cool, abstract, non-templated generative piece, and people didn't go for it. Celestial minted out, and Celestial still has like a decent secondary action from time to time. But yeah, it seems like the public is really only massively rewarding them for the very like figurative pieces. You know, and I think this is also just kind of speaking to what we started talking about last week. And I guess at the beginning of the show is rampant speculation being riskier now than it was a couple of weeks ago. Speculation totally. is very, very good when you're in a big bull run, but I think we're safely out of that bull run now. We're not in a bear by any means, but you know, I think that we're shifting more in that direction compared to mm. three weeks ago. You got to be careful, I guess. I mean, if you're trying to flip, you have to be really strategic. And, you know, I guess also willing to like let go of a project really quickly. Yeah. I guess that's enough on Stargazers. Another excellent work from Exotics. Just, yeah. you know, despite our conversation, like it's really well made. Yeah. Um, more of that. More of that. Fewer people. All right, number five, A Fortiori by Thomas Noya in collaboration with Tender, 500 editions, 15 Tez, all reserved for Tender Pass holders, and I believe all minted by Tender Pass holders. I don't think it, this one made it even to the public portion of the mint. So that means that it minted out in two hours. So yeah. I think that is a huge win for Tender and for Thomas as well, just to see some of the momentum. Absolutely. And it did really well. And it is a non-AI piece from Thomas. Yeah, I think it's one of the first non-AI projects that he's done. Like a lot of his bread and butter within like the HX1 series, it's all AI assisted. I think he did, so the 500 Bears of Summer, 
Tears in the Rain, The 400 Flips, a couple that were not AI, but I think he's most well known mm-hmm. for the AI stuff. So this is a big shift to um, move into this like light drawing kind of like almost like calligraphic. Yeah, sort of Um, like there's a really great Twitter thread out there that we can link to that showcases like some of the inspiration and there were, um, I forget the artist, but the light drawings. Yeah. So Caravaggio's diagonal beams, Picasso drawing with light, Guillaume Mali's photographic emulsion. So even if you don't know those names, you can Google them and kind of see where a lot of the influence is coming from. And I think we know also from Thomas's tweets, like how much work went into the pathing and movement of these pieces to make them feel organic, like someone would have actually done this by hand. Mm-hmm. And it definitely paid off in, a, in the way a lot of the compositions came about. And they animate too, which is... I didn't know think, until this project was put into the queue. I think that's an excellent feature actually to help understand what makes each one unique. Because at 500 editions, you can kind of go like, oh, like what makes my like quote unquote scribble different? Mm-hmm from the one next to it. And it's like, oh, well, you have to kind of see the movement and the path it takes. And just the work that went into crafting the way these beams of light leave their trails. I think that this is a project where I think pretty much every single piece is really good. But I think that there are some that just stand out. You know, like you're not going to be mad about any individual output, even the ones that are black on white or white on black. They're still very cool. But, you know, then you look at something like number 37, it hits different. Number 37, it's like black background with this like vibrant blue that is just kind of swirls and animates. Like, And I think, isn't this kind of similar to the one that you got? It is very similar to the one that I got, but mine is purple. Yeah. I agree. Like, I think, you know, for being a light-based project, I think some of them glow better mm-hmm. than others. And I really like the ones that have a strong feeling of like, glow building up upon itself Mm -hmm. the white on black tend to do it well and some of the colors on black tend to do it well i think the red ones struggle sometimes ironically though the red one is the highest sale um number 237 it's the high sale at 208 tes and that one it doesn't struggle but it's also very compositionally different it fades a lot more yeah, that one is is very interesting. 237, did the person who bought it already <laughs> listed higher? Yeah, they did. <laughs> it's listed for I mean, they're just being listed, right? Yeah, that's fine. The interesting thing we've seen is people, there are some people who have like minted and then bought more or just came in from the secondary if they weren't in tender. And you can really build out a nice grid of these across colors, across composition styles. There are some very unique compositions that emerge, like also looking at like number 279 is very like almost curtain-like in the way it's coming apart and how faded it is. And close to it also like 282 plays super nicely with uh, the light itself kind of dividing up the color in the space, like black on one side, blue on the other. Yeah, it brings in that third color, which most of them don't like necessarily do. It's like just that intersection between, I don't know, light transparency. There's so much emergent action in this one. Like Wood Scoot number 310, that one just looks like sinister. With like the rings and the black, like that's a red and black one mm-hmm. that really. It's very hits. similar to two, uh, 237, that the one that yeah. was the highest sale. When you put a lot of work into an algorithm, like they spent, I think, on and off about five months on this piece, Thomas said on Twitter, that really pushing and tuning the code helps that discoverability, like when the algorithm runs, right? Mm-hmm. So really cool. I think it's 
very awesome. And you know, I think that we're also starting to see a signature style come through with tender. Oh, okay. Let's hear the theory. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the tender drops, they're very focused on that interplay of light. If we look at Speed of Dark, Emotional Shell, Hollands, and A Fortiori, there's this sense of internal glowing that emerges. So it almost feels very photographic. And I think that maybe speaks to Adam's artistic background in photography. For sure. I know he's spoken on that practice a little bit in the interview we had with him. So that would make sense. Between Speed of Dark and A Fortiori, you can definitely see like there's a similar hand at work, I think. I agree for sure. Excellent drop. Really excited about this one. I was happy to get my mint and I'll definitely treasure it for a, for a while. I mean, if the floors blow up, one can always be tempted. I'm listed at really 300, like which is way above the high sale, but you know. Well, maybe I should list mine for 300 too. No, you, you got to list yours for 270. 270, got to undercut you. Yeah, which listen or watch our video on listing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, Daniel. <laughs> so yeah, that was A Fortiori, another excellent tender collab. Really enjoyed this one and continue to enjoy Thomas's work. Let us do shout outs, huh? Yeah. Wrap up the week. Where do you want to start? We can start from the top. You want me to do this one since I put it here? Yeah. All right. I want to shout out Metal Mountains, which is still available to Mint. It's a collaboration between Gruab and Sean Kemp. And Sean has been continuing to push his, I guess, quote unquote, plottable like woodwork into metal now. I think he rigged a laser to an axi draw or something. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how he got it. And I meant to talk about crystallization when it came out like a month or two ago. It was really cool seeing on Twitter people posting the little business card or credit card sized like metal etched plots they got. And um, collabing with Grueb, who's been around since the really, really early days of FX Hash, making plottable stuff. Like maybe one of the first people on the platform releasing plottable pieces with like plottable mountain moons and plottable storm. Like you have to go way back to November. Right, so like weeks within the uh, launch of the platform. So just really cool to see these two folks coming together, collabing and creating this. You had to mint in the top two tiers of the Dutch auction, 90 or 60, to be eligible for, I guess, a free metal edition. But I'm sure if you minted now at 30, you can go to Sean's website, alleditions.art. Well, each mint gets and, a free pocket print. One. Oh, does each get a free one? Mm -hmm. Oh, you get signed. Okay, so by getting the higher tiers, you just got like... Uh, Either an extra print or a signed print. Or, yeah. Actually, now that seeing that each get one, I will probably mint one because I thought I missed the opportunity. And I think the other thing I just want to shout out about this piece is that there's a lot of different packing algorithms going on. Some of it's circle packing. Mm -hmm. Some of it's more like the flow fields line packing. We have like pentagon packing, which like the math on that just how do you make sure that <laughs> pentagons don't overlap? I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll have to re-reference Amy's article on packing yeah. to figure that out probably. So, I mean, that very, very cool. Just a shout out, Metal Mountains, uh, still a lot available. And only 30 Tez, you get one in the mail. So that's pretty cool. Not bad. I'll shout out the next one, which is Code Weaveresses by Alexandra. It's a project that is very much in the vein of some of her other work. I love that she has such like a signature style of sorts where it's like if you see a piece by her, you know it's her. But the thing that I really love about this piece is the origin of the name, because it really speaks to, I think in my mind, the intersection between society, culture, and linguistics. 
She speaks a Slavic language. So in this case, it's Serbian. And it's a very gendered language. English is less gendered oh. than many. And so obviously we have words like a steward versus stewardess in English, waiter, waitress in, as well. And in this case, the masculine term of weaver almost doesn't exist in Serbian. She puts this into the description, which is awesome. And so that's why it's called weaveresses, because she's bringing mm. some of that like linguistic background into the English language, because I don't think a weaveress, is some, that's never a word I've never heard before. You know, it is still like fully masculine. I mean, I know that none of that is really about the art, so to speak. But, you know, I just love like that little tidbit within, yeah. within the name. And, you know, a lot of this piece, if you read through the description, is about the place of women in art in conjunction with the Bauhaus movement. And so obviously very apropos to the conversations that have been going on in the last few weeks. Yeah, great piece. High floor, 64 Tez. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm actually buying the floor one right Ugh. now. It's a great project. And I love the subtle like light animation on it. Yeah, she has a lot of that in some of her pieces. And it just makes it a little bit more special. Absolutely. Great shout out there. Um, I'm going to do uh, another shout out here. N Forms by Robin. Not your mom. No, not my mom, Robin. Um, I actually think Robin is a... Man, Robin. Yes. Here. Confirmed via LinkedIn. Confirmed man. This is a super cool piece from Robin. It's been a while since they've released anything on the platform. I think, oh, actually, they, they were back. They did 250000 not too long ago. It was August, so several months. But I think we were talking about them all the way back in the Osmanum days. That was such a fun release. And this one kind of is going back into that territory of this more organic, mm-hmm. like, structures and coloration but placing the figure itself also on like a piece of paper with some scientific notes in the margin around it's from it, another like realm disc- yeah it's very from another realm it's it's got um i guess you call that like the asemic writing right it, similar to what is done in bingo but the, it's it's like marginalia right it's like you can imagine someone has found this alien object and is making their own notes in their own otherworldly language and the structures themselves, I mean, like, I think they're really, really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, I love this piece. Yeah. It reminds me of like illuminated manuscripts, but from a different universe or like with something from another dimension kind of seeping through. Also, like the way that the scribbles are, it kind of makes me think of like a dream state in a way. Because like there's the whole thing like, if you're dreaming, you can't read, right? Right. Um, Is that true? I feel like I read in my dreams. I I had a dream in which that involved reading not that long ago, and I forget whether I could read or not. But I remember while I was in the process of being in that dream somewhat lucidly being like, oh, yes, I'm connecting this to the thing that people say in the real world, but I don't remember what the output was. So I feel like that's like misinformation that was spread by this one episode of the Batman cartoon back (laughs) in the 90s, where like Batman figures out that the Jokers put him in a dream because he can't read the book. And he's like, I'm dreaming. And then he like wakes up and he's like in this laboratory. And I was like, yeah, that's right, Batman. Like you can't read in your dreams, but I, I think you can. I think it's possible. Did you not have that same childhood memory? I, I, <laughs> I, did, I did watch that show, but I don't think I saw that episode. Okay. You, you can find it for sure. I, maybe I'm misremembering it. That could be like a little bit of a Mandela effect. Yeah. There. Well, I think what they're saying, well, I'm looking up this scientifically. And you, it's, while it's not impossible for you to be able to read, it may be very, very hard because when we sleep, the entire language area of the brain is less active. 
So maybe it just makes it harder. Or you may be in a dream, you may be thinking that you're reading, but you're not actually reading anything that's oh, like- Oh, you're kind of like dreaming that you are reading. Yeah. I guess it would have been a very lucid dream of that sort. Yeah. Anyways, that's end forms. That's dreaming. Really cool project from Robin. I just bought one on the secondary because I was out during the mint, but it's a sick one. Would you want to do one more Trinity and then we'll wrap? Yeah. I'm going to call out Splinter by Nudaru. This was just a abstract piece that was put out really to represent his one-year anniversary on FX Hash, which it's kind of absurd to think that we've all been doing this for a year. And I know that we had the FX anniversary, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about it in conjunction with a specific artist that has released so much and has become such a, a community member, it's like very cool to see and to remember. So this is a really nice piece. Neuter has kind of been back recently with a couple pieces. I, I feel like yeah, they've took some time slowed off. down a lot, taking time off. Like, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but looking at this one, it really feels like it's calling back to fractured cells from way back in January, which I think was yeah. kind of the first piece of theirs that really broke through, right? Uh, yeah, it was definitely a big one. I think that and the Meander River Plots. Did the Meander River Plot like break through in the moment or did it break through after? It might have broken through after, you know, it was fractured cells that really led then into you know the Cold absolute Mountain. fervor around Cold Mountain. Yeah. But something about the composition of this, like maybe it's just like the, the little dots and the way that they're kind of like connected by these colorful lines. I wonder if that was an intentional callback to that that piece. It's actually an evolution, according to the project description, of what was used in his first release, Raked Strokes. Oh, okay. There you go. Instead of mimicking a brush with parallel segments, I'm using perpendicular line segments to define the abstract shape. Cool one from Nudaru. And the floor is still pretty approachable. I minted with my reserve yesterday. Oh, nice. Do we have anything looking ahead? I mean, there's the tieback drop today. Yeah, I, but nothing. I was scanning. I mean, I think there's like a lot of projects we've talked about in the past that are still not listed up. Like, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but. And I know that we kind of glossed over this. Like, there was a bit of a run on Perkworks work uh, with Scrabbert and Shift. You know, maybe that's an anticipation of the work that they've been teasing for like a literally yeah. months and months and months that I feel is going to art blocks. Yeah, I was curious why that run happened all of a sudden, but I have no information on it. Maybe there's somebody out there with information, so. Maybe, must be. We don't have to have a a robust looking forward section. Yeah, we're already over an hour and a half. This is a long episode. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the artifice today. Maybe we can look forward to more Tyvek drama this week and, and excitement. Other than that, I mean, Trinity, in the assumption that this might be the last episode for a few weeks with you, I hope that you have a good... Um, baby. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and everything, everything is is like is like chill and orderly, as it as it can be. It's uh, it's gonna be cool. I can promise you that. It yes, it will definitely be something. You're also not gonna have a choice about it. So you, That's true. you gotta you have to kind of get right with it pretty quick uh, and just. I'm also gonna be responsible for driving an hour plus to the hospital and. Fingers crossed that traffic is in agreement. I think it's the best place in the country to give birth. New York? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably. The United States is really just terrible in terms of everybody's mortality rate compared to most industrial countries, but New York is good. It sounds like you guys are well prepared. You have a plan. Mm-hmm. That's the best you can do. So Exactly. 
send me a text when it's happening. Will do. <laughs> just be like, I'm driving now. I'll get excited. I'll keep you just up to date. No problem. Right on. Well, I hope everyone sends you uh, some good supporting tweets too and says, good baby to you, Trinity. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. How do you how do you say to someone? Here, have this garden monoliths to go with your baby. Hey. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's nice. That's like a little college fun starter there. Exactly. Oh, college fun. I'm way more selfish than that. <laughs> well, I think that's it for this one. Thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. Thank you for your support, your donations, minting the FX text articles, all that good stuff. Be back again soon with another episode. Until then, later, guys.